When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Carolina Insider from Learfield. Time again for another edition of the Carolina Insider. My name's Jones. He is Adam Lucas. How you doing? Thanks for being here again. And, uh, man, we got a busy show. A lot to talk about. We're going to look back at this weekend, uh, Carolina's game against Virginia Tech. Uh, late night with Roy is later this week, plus Basketball Media Day is today, as you're hearing this on Tuesday. It's the it's the next day as we are recording this, but uh, Basketball Media Day this week as well, and um, all kinds of stuff to talk about, so let's get right to it. Adam, it did not go very well this weekend for the Tar Heels. Not on the football field. <laughs> no, yes, or uh, yeah, there were some other sports, I think, that won. Anson Dorrance picked up his 800th career win, for example. Yeah. Uh, but on the football field, no, it did not go very well. Um, you know, this is this is kind of how I I tweeted this out on Saturday night, and I really think this is true. It was just the absolute perfect storm of bad things coming together in this game for Carolina. Number one, the Tar Heels just didn't play well. I mean, they just didn't did not have a good performance. That's number one. And number two, Virginia Tech is good. And, and their defense in particular, I think, is really good. And it's hard to move the ball against them on a good day in 75-degree, sunny, dry weather. Um, number three, clearly the weather played a factor. Um, but yeah, the Tar Heels just didn't handle the weather very well. They, they just they, they let it affect them much more than I think it affected Virginia Tech. And finally, there were some important injuries that, that didn't help uh, the cause either. I mean, Caleb Peterson, 
Uh, probably Carolina's best offensive lineman, at least his most uh, most consistent one, was out. Elijah Hood, of course, didn't play. Uh, Des Lawrence, I don't think, took a snap in the second half. Um, Aaron Crawford was carted off the field. Dewan Drennan, after getting in the game for the first time all year, played like three plays before injuring himself again. Um, Tyler Powell didn't play uh, on the defensive line. So, I mean, it was just there were so many different things that went into it um, that came together for, well, for what was an extraordinarily poor performance in total on Saturday. Yeah, Carolina didn't lose the game because of the weather. Right. But it felt like that made it worse. Yes. And it's easy to say this now because we know it was 34-3. to But from the moment those two teams ran out of the tunnel before the game, they just looked different in terms of their excitement level about being there. Virginia Tech looked very into it. The, the people they brought were rowdy and seemed yeah. like they were having fun. And everybody wearing blue kind of looked like they felt like they were there to endure it. And it heard so much about how bad it was going to be and was ready to suffer through. Yeah. And again, now we can say that because it was 34 to 3. So now that looks smart to say that. You probably wouldn't have said that at 325 on Saturday. Uh, but you just never got the feel. And, and the play, and Lee Pace has pointed this out a couple times now, one via the tweet and one via the article. I think it's exactly right. The play on the second drive where Mitch Trubisky was trying to throw it to Ryan Switzer over the middle and missed by – 10 yards yep. behind him and high. That was I a think, throw he has made a billion times before. Yeah, and and if he's going to miss that throw, it's going to be close. But that one was so not close that I think that's what made you first go, uh-oh, this may not be the day, and this might have a bigger impact than we all thought. Yeah, you know, Larry Fedora said afterwards, and this may not be an exact quote, but he, he said he just didn't, his team just didn't look like itself. And, and I think that was more than just the performance. I, I agree with you. I mean, I just think it, they just didn't look like they have looked. And, you know, I had a chance to talk with him, and he said, and I thought this was interesting, talking specifically about the offense, he says, you know, over the last couple of weeks in particular, so many guys had made plays. And he said, in this game, he felt like everyone was sitting around waiting for somebody else to make a play, waiting for someone else on the team to do something to kind of spark them, and, and that nobody was actually doing it, but they were all kind of waiting for someone else to do it. Um, and when he said that, I thought that made sense because it, it did appear as though it just – and Brian Simmons mentioned this on the broadcast on Saturday, that the body language wasn't real good. Um, it was just, it was just a, a messy – downtrodden afternoon well and and with all that going on and, and the body language like I saw Ryan Switzer getting a little chippy with a couple of Virginia Tech defensive right. backs a couple times and you could just tell he was frustrated and with all that going on it it was right there because at 13 to 3 before halftime Carolina's got the ball with two yep. minutes left I think you're sitting there and you think all right maybe somehow miraculously get a field goal <laughs> through the monsoon get a field goal it's 13-6 and Carolina gets the ball first in the second half yep but instead the exact opposite thing happens. Carolina goes five plays before the first half that has to get rid of the ball. First drive of the second half was the killer because you go six plays and you're making a little bit of progress, and then Mr. Trubisky fumbles the ball. Virginia Tech gets it back, scores a touchdown. Then it's 20-3 to in the rain, yeah, felt like. and that probably is not going to happen. Yeah, and, 
you know, I mean, and part of the problem, I mean, on that drive right before halftime, Switzer dropped a pass that on third down that would have been a, a first down. And, I mean, I know there are at least five drop passes. Uh, you've got the four charted turnovers, the fumbled snap by Tom Sheldon. The punter does not go down as a turnover, but it essentially was. Gave Virginia Tech uh, the ball at the four. Um, so, I mean, it was just you're not going to beat anybody regardless of quality opponent, and Virginia Tech is good, Re- regardless of quality opponent, you're, you're not going to beat anybody with that kind of stuff happening. Um, also, it, it just in, in the pure football aspect, I mean, the field position was such a big part of this game, I thought. Carolina, it felt like the whole game was playing between its 30 and its goal line offensively, whereas Virginia Tech, and this stat amazes me, the six scoring drives that Virginia Tech had, the Hokies went a total of 122 yards on those six drives. So you're looking at an average of 20 yards per drive needed to score. That is, uh, that's amazing. I mean, when, when the field position is that heavily in favor in one t- of one team, um, I mean, that's, you know, it's no surprise that team won by the margin that Virginia Tech did. And it goes back to, a lot of that field was, it was because of mistakes. I mean, the, the turnovers were all occurring on Carolina's side of the 50, and it was, just, it was just compounding the problem. Because quite honestly, I didn't think Carolina's defense played poorly. I, I thought it played okay. Uh, but it just, when, when you constantly are, if you give up more than five yards, they're in field goal range or whatever. I mean, that's, that's hard to do. Well, and it, it just felt like Carolina needed that one play to tilt the field back the other way, whether yeah. it was a big running play a big passing play a turnover block punt hike it over the punter's head which happened yeah and there's nobody within the one, 20 yards of yeah, the one time they had a full return called in the on the uh on the punt return i'm not sure i've ever seen that before considering how far the ball went yeah. and and you could tell the punter i mean had his back to the to the defense so he didn't know and then he picked it up and you saw him kind of go oh yeah. i might get this off after all but you kind of figured the big play wasn't going to come offensively because Carolina got 58 yards passing total in the game. Yeah. The Tar Heels have had three pass plays longer than that this year. Six it, of them last year. It was the lowest total offense ever for a Larry Fedora Carolina team. And I haven't looked at his Southern Miss time, but I have to think it's the lowest ever. It's the lowest point output for a Larry Fedora team. And it's the worst loss that one of his teams have ever taken Uh period, Southern Miss or Carolina. So, it to me, I think now what is going to be really interesting is how the Tar Heels react to this because it's been a long time. I mean, it's been since that state game at the end of the 14 season that Carolina really has just taken a game where they were just played poorly and just beaten. E- even the losses last year, the Georgia loss earlier this season, there were things that didn't go well, but Carolina was in all of those games. Um, that was not really the case from the – mid third quarter on um in this game this past weekend and just i mean the just not that stats mean everything but just the stat sheet it's so heavily weighted towards virginia tech too it really tells the story so i i think how carolina reacts to this now and i don't know i i'm and i I don't know how they react you you hope they would react positively larry fedora thinks they will because he's got to think that way and he trusts his team and even at his press conference on monday he talked a lot about how uh, they came back together with good energy. They, you know, learned from their mistakes, kind of flushed that away, um, and we're moving on, which is how you have to handle it, I think, as as the coach and the team. 
Well, and you've talked to him multiple times since the game, so you know a lot more than I do about this. But that seems to me like the kind of game where watching the film doesn't even really do you any good. Yeah, I mean, he talked about that some, about how you, you watch it to see the mistakes. And you know how I thought this was this was a just an interesting way to start his press conference on Monday. Coaches always say it's not as bad as you thought it was. It's not as good as you thought it was. He said it was as bad as he thought it was. He said it was He said it was just as bad as I thought it was when I watched it in real time. So I do think some of that you just got to flush, right? I mean, because you have to assume that it's not going to be that bad again because it's never been that bad before in his entire tenure as, a, as an offensive coach. So he has to I, – I would – and I have not asked him this, but I have to think – that he feels like it was kind of what we said at the beginning. It was a perfect storm of bad things, some of which were very much in Carolina's control that it didn't do very well, but that he has to assume that all that stuff isn't going to come together again. Now, I think you have to feel that way, right? Because it you can't let that one performance, as poor as it was, I don't think you can let that overshadow everything else because if, if you do that, you're going to go down, I think, to a bad place. Well, and I don't think you can just sit around and go, oh, well, it rained. So that's that's why. Carolina scored 66 points against Idaho in more yeah. rain than that. Yeah. So it, it's not just that it rained. It was that a lot of bad things happened and that Virginia Tech is good on yes. defense. Yeah, that's worth mentioning. I mean, they were number nine in the nation and yards allowed per game coming into that game. So, I mean, this was a very – I mean, Bud Foster's one of the best defensive coordinators in college football, has been for a while. And he uh, – that is a good team to go against. And when – to their credit, to Virginia Tech's credit, when they started smelling that Carolina's – the passing – when it wasn't going the way they wanted, I mean, they just – it was like sharks to blood, man. I mean, they knew that Carolina was not able to do the types of things that it wanted to do. Um – couple other things. One thing that I do think needs to be – one thing that Carolina's having trouble with defensively is stopping the edge runs. I, I think they, they've done a really good job, and even Larry Fedora mentioned this, their interior of the defense I think has continued to get better as this year's gone along, and they have enough players in depth there, I think. I mean, Nas Jones, uh, Jalen Dalton, Aaron Crawford, he was hurt, uh, as we mentioned – and I do not know the severity of that injury. Um, Robert Dinkins, Jeremiah Clark. I mean, you have some guys at that position who are getting better, who are playing well, um, and I think they're, they slow down for Gene Tech's interior rushing attack. But as we've seen, most of the damage that other teams are doing on the ground is coming from the edge. And, you know, I don't know if that's – it's a combination of the ends, the corners, the outside. I mean, it's, it's a lot of different things that have to be better – but Carolina's got to figure that out. Well, and that's such an important part of college football. Right. That's where teams like to attack you. Right. And once they see it on film, there's no reason not to try that. Why would you waste your time running into the middle of those guys you just said? Right. They've pretty much already showed they can probably make a play. I think if there's one guy who walked away from Saturday at least feeling kind of good about how he played, it would be Nas Jones. Yeah. I thought he had a good game. Yeah, knocked a pass down, had that play reforced and recovered a fumble. Made several tackles. Larry Fedora even said, you know, he was on the sideline really being very positive. You know, I mean, he, I think everything that he did on Saturday was good. That being said, the exterior of the line has not been as good and no. has not made as many plays. And the injuries 
are a problem as much as people don't want to hear it. Yeah, I mean, Drennan, Powell, neither, I mean, you know, combined to play three plays, and those were the first couple of plays that Drennan's played all year. Um, yeah, I mean, Jason Strobridge is a young guy. I think he's a good player, but a redshirt freshman. Alan Cater should be redshirting, but Carolina has to play him. Tamon Fox is injured. I mean, we've got, he only played a couple games. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, and that's where it goes all the way back to what we talked about multiple weeks ago, and that is the depth. And right now, that's where Carolina just does not have the, the combination of depth and experience and talent on the defensive side. I think they have – their frontline defensive guys are good enough to be successful. And they've got some young talent behind them, but it's, they don't have that full combination yet on that side of the ball. Even though, again, I didn't think the defense was the issue on this past Saturday. What do you think has to happen to get that? Man, that is – I mean, isn't that just pure recruiting at that point? I mean, you just you just have to get more guys, right? I don't know how – I mean, there's – you're not going – you may get a transfer every now and then, but it's not like you're going to – Yeah, you can't find every Sylvester Williams at the auto plant. Right. I mean, you're, you're not just going to magically turn somebody into a 320-pound defensive tackle who can run recent, decently well and is athletic. Well, and the problem is if, let's say, you go out and recruit the very best one you can find and he commits – even on the day he gets to campus, he's still 30 pounds lighter right. than everybody he's going to be playing against. Right. So it's not exactly a position where you can go plug somebody in right away. It, it takes almost, if you, if you want help on the first game of 2017 and you're going to look for it today, you've got to go find Sylvester Williams. Right. And there, there just aren't any. There's yeah. only the one. He plays for the Broncos. Yeah, and we had, uh, we had that question about defensive. I think, it was, I think the question was about the defensive line in total where somebody asked a similar question to Larry Fedora on his radio show, which was, you know, just how big of a challenge is it to recruit that position? And he talked about how, to him, that's the hardest position to recruit because the, the talent pool of guys who can succeed at this level is so small. And he said, and so every single Division One school is after the same guys. And it's just a smaller amount of guys who can do that at a high level than at other positions because you're looking at the combination of size and athleticism. You know, an offensive lineman, you can be really big but not necessarily be super athletic and be successful. At a wide receiver, you need the athleticism. I mean, this is obvious. And then on the defensive line, it's the combination of two, and those guys are hard to find. It, it is a difficult, it's a difficult position group build up the type of talent and depth that you want. I think it's the hardest one on the football field to build that build that up. And you can't really turn somebody into a defensive lineman. No. It's not like, oh, he might grow into a linebacker, we could convert him to a safety, or maybe we'll turn him into a tailback. You either are or you are not. Yeah, you may be able to get like a linebacker and make him a speed rusher or something like that, but he's not going to be somebody who is playing every single down on the defensive line. No. Which is what Carolina needs. Yes. Um... All right, let's get to this other question about the game on Saturday, which was, uh, do we think the game should have been played? Um, and I'm going to uh, – let me lay out the, the, the arguments here. I think there is a very valid argument on both sides of this. I'll start with the it should not have been argument, which the most vocal people that we have heard from, I think you and I both, uh, are making this argument. Um. It was a dangerous situation in multiple areas in North Carolina. The emergency management 
people, and I don't, that's probably not the official term, but the emergency management people in North Carolina were encouraging people to stay off the roads um, and not to travel because of the rain. I mean, it was windy, but the rain was the real issue, and as we've seen even since then, yeah, flooding is continuing to be a problem in this state. Um, so I think that's the argument for not doing it. Now, the argument for doing it is that the guideline is if the game can be played at the original site, at the original time, in what is not considered a dangerous situation at the place of the game, so where the game is to be competed, then you're supposed to try and play it. Um, so if this game, it, the rule is not, is it dangerous between Fayetteville in here or Wilmington in here or Charlotte in here? Because I think if that was the rule, there's no doubt that you don't play it. I mean, we, we've all seen the, the footage of the floods in roads across the state, particularly in the Sand Hills and in the Coastal Plains. So I don't think there's any question that you don't if you're going by that. But that's not what the guideline says. And so I can understand both arguments of this scenario. And the, the hard part is I don't. Th there's just not a great answer, I don't think. I think no matter what you do, you're going to something about, and I'm, this is from the Carolina perspective, no matter what you do, you're going to do something wrong. If you cancel it, you've done something wrong. If you don't cancel it, you've done something wrong. So uh, that's just a tough scenario to be in. And I'll say this, there were thousands more people there than I thought were going to be there. I mean, the weather to me was at its worst between about noon and 4. So before the game and then right at the the first portion of the game. And, I mean, when I was sitting there in pregame, I was like, there there may not be 10,000 people. There may be 5,000 people. And I think the uh, official attendance was 33 or 32 or something, which is probably close to about right, maybe halfway, a little bit more than halfway, which I think is about right. Um but I don't know, man. What do you think? I mean, it's just it's just hard. This is a this is a hard decision to make. Well, and there's two things you have to factor in that now we all know that no one knew on Friday or Saturday. One, thirty-four to three. And see, you can't I, you you can't let that, in my opinion, cloud the judgment of should this game been played or not. Right. It it should because because if if you take that into consideration, then shoot, man, any home team would just pick. Right. whenever the best conditions were for them to play the game. Right. If they feel like they're a good team in the rain, they'd wait for it to I mean, obviously that's extreme, but you see what I'm saying. I mean, just because Carolina played poorly, that is no reason to now say the game should have been moved. That that's not that shouldn't even be in play. But I but it has been. And, and oh, people right. have said and the other thing is Sunday was beautiful. Right. Sunday was beautiful, and Carolina lost 34-3. to Therefore, the game should have been played Sunday when it was beautiful, and Carolina probably would have won 34-3. to that's, that's not how it works. Right. We would like for it to, but just like you can't control the rain, you know how Carolina fans always get mad when the Tar Heels are running the up-tempo offense and other teams start having these miraculous injuries that right. slow things down? You can't do that, and you can't pick your game based on the weather. So I, I think – the biggest factor is that the weather here in Chapel Hill within a mile around the stadium was not as bad as it was from everywhere east. And I came from to the game from the east. Yep. So on the way, I was thinking, oh, this might be a mistake. But then when you got to Chapel Hill, it was rainy and windy. Yep. And it's not the worst game that I've ever been to 
or that you've ever been to. No. That, the basketball game at Maryland and whatever it was, 2010, that one was totally ridiculous. In the yeah. snow and the ice, no way that game should have been played. That one was pretty unsafe at the location yes. of the game. This game wasn't close to that game in terms of the location there. But I, I don't know. I, I just and, and having settled, I totally get why people are upset. I right. do get it. I do get that they paid money for these tickets. Right. I do get that they feel as though I mean I don't want to I don't want people listening to feel like we're lecturing them or something because that's not it. I totally understand that perspective. But I think if you're Carolina, you've got to make every effort to play the game at the location at the time if you deem that is safe for the student athletes, for the officials, for the coaches and for the fans who can reason and, and at some point you have to rely on individuals making a smart decision for themselves. And I think that's the one thing that was missing, that if, if Carolina could do the whole thing over again, they might do just slightly differently. Like in the release on Friday, where it said the game's going on as scheduled. Right. Maybe you put a line in there that says, we understand conditions elsewhere may be dangerous, stay home. Right. We get it. We understand. But it was almost like fans got put into a situation where they felt like, their the, fan, their fandom yeah. was being challenged, yeah. or they, or they're in this. And I get, I get where that would make someone upset. I do. And, and even to the point that could you reach out to people who couldn't come and say, "Hey, we'd like to offer you a couple tickets to the Citadel game because we get it." Right. You just need to say you get it, so that they don't feel like they have a choice between either staying home and being mad, or coming to the game and being soaked. Yeah. If they could feel good about staying home and still feel like they are a Tar Heel football fan who is appreciated. I think that helps a whole lot. Yeah. But there just wasn't time to put all that together. And I and I think I'm not a meteorologist. I think it was a little worse I than was, what people thought. I was going to say the exact same thing. I think it was worse on Saturday than they thought it was going to be. And I don't know who the they is there. Just uh, that's a universal term, but I think it was I think it was worse Saturday than than it would than anticipated, right? I mean, when we all saw those, and you and I talked about it on Thursday, and we said this is a dangerous talk about because you never know. But when you saw those models that had that thing taken like a a hard ninety degree turn, you thought, okay, well, I, I you know it's going to be a little rainy and a little windy, but no big deal. And it was it was a bigger deal than I think it was thought it was going to be. And even Saturday morning, no way did I think Wake County schools would be out on Monday. Oh, or I didn't even know they but were out. They are, yeah, because yeah. so many people don't have power. Yeah. If you had told everybody that Saturday morning, Wake County and everybody east are going to be out. Wow. Maybe something different happens. Yeah. But I just don't think anybody knew. Yeah, it is one of those where, again, I think no matter what you do, there's going to be people who find fault in it. And after the fact, there's going to be plenty of people upset. And, yeah, it's just one – it's a – it's a difficult situation. It's where something that is very much real life and much more important and then sports kind of get intertwined with each other. And so it's just it, – it's not easy. You know the one group that I thought came through Saturday looking the best? The field guys. The field guys are unbelievable. Are they all leaving for the NFL early? That was ridiculous. Well, remember, and this played an enormous role. I mean, Carolina redid the drainage at Keenan Stadium, not this offseason, but the previous offseason, so before the 2015 season. Um, and it's a good thing they did. <laughs> I mean, if you saw that game over at State, I mean, that was th – those conditions in which they were playing on the field, I mean, neither team could do anything because it was so wet and so – and it came down to, what, a block punt that it was recovered for a touchdown. 
excuse me. And so, I mean, it was – those conditions were sloppy. Um, and not saying that they were good conditions in Keenum, but the field was in no way the problem. And, in fact, the Larry Fedora called the field guys on Sunday morning to thank them for what a good job they'd done and what good condition it was in. And he said they told him that if they needed to play – that if Carolina was home this weekend, it would be ready to go. I'm not sure you could say that at other places. I think – and I'm assuming – I don't know if State's home this weekend or not, but if they are, I would think that there's some concern about that field. Whereas, according to the field guys here, that there was no problem if Carolina was home, which it isn't. And, in fact, the Heels aren't home for a month. But if they were home this upcoming weekend, that the field would be ready to go, no problems at all anticipated. And I know at least at the beginning of the game, you know, Lee was down – Lee Pace was down the field and talked to some of the guys, and none of them changed their – I shouldn't say none. Most of them wore their normal cleats instead of the the screwing ones that sometimes you go to if if the field conditions are bad because it was in such good shape. But just think about how many times you can remember a guy slipping and falling down. Yeah, I can't. Not that many, if any. Yeah, I can. I don't really remember any. It seemed like the hardest thing to do was deep snap and receive the punt. I mean, both punters had trouble, and both punting units had trouble with, with the deep snap and handling the punts. In fact, I think that was the knockout blow of the game is when Carolina fumbled the punt on the four, and then Virginia Tech went up couple plays later 27 to 3 I think that's what it made it I mean to me that was the knockout the knockout punch so um but yes a plus to the field guys it really did look good yeah uh, well and I think what made people enjoy it even more was that everybody who was at that game had watched the state game <laughs> and you hear so much about how good state is at stuff like that and to compare the image of Carter Finley's field to Keenan's field it just made you feel like made you feel like the Tar Heels were good at something, <laughs> and and we needed that around six thirty on yeah. Saturday. Um, let's change topics. Let's go basketball. Media day Tuesday, um, and then late night coming up on Friday. Um, I, I don't even, I just I'll be interested in this. What are you most excited about for this uh, upcoming Carolina basketball season? That finally we get to play some more games. Yeah. And forget about that other game. Well, the problem is it's never going to be forgotten. Um, well, thanks, Jones. <laughs> <laughs> but you wrote a great piece this past week on the website about kind of how the, the this current team, which in there are a lot of holdovers from last year, um, that this current team is using the Villanova game as some fuel. And that surprised me a little, and I think – I'd be interested to hear from one of our hopefully future podcast guests about the difference. But, you know, like the, the 09 team used 08 a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But that was almost virtually the same guys. Right. This has six of the eight players who played, I think, more than two minutes in the Villanova game are back. But the two who aren't back are Bryce Johnson and Marcus Page. Yeah. So in quantity, it's the same guys. But you're missing two key cogs. The the Roy Williams mic'd up thing at practice I thought was great on uh, on go heels tv when he said hey guys look around here do you see bryce no he's not right. coming back and that's right it, so it's gonna be a different team but they very much seem to be taking the attitude that we the tar heels them talking made it to the finals last year we'll just take one more step this year can you remember from one year to the next kind of the, that roster makeup where so much, so many of the important players have returned, 
but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like 0809. It, it no. doesn't feel that way where where you felt like this entire group is back and they are clearly I mean and the reason it doesn't is because of, of who they lost, even though it wasn't very many. The, the importance of those two guys was so high. I mean, not just statistically, where they were the two leading scorers, Bryce Johnson was the leading rebounder, all those things, um, but just in what they meant to the team even more than just on the stat sheet. And I think, to me, that's the biggest part because at some level, Carolina's going to have guys good enough always to make up for the statistical part of it. Maybe not to the exact same level, but close enough I think the bigger question is now that you particularly Paige now that you don't have that guy who is kind of the heart and soul to use a cliche term of the team you got to find that now and maybe it maybe they already know who it is maybe it's Joel Berry maybe it's Theo Pinson maybe it's Nate Britt I don't know but somebody's got to do it well, and I think it needs to be somebody who can hold everyone else accountable and they listen to him. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of the candidates who might be a, a likely choice in a normal year are not a choice this year just because of whatever in their circumstances make them not a choice. I think the only one who is is Joe Barry. And he said this summer when we talked to him a little bit, he's had to work on – he tends to just get mad at p other people when they don't do what he thinks they ought to be doing. Mm -hmm. And he's had he's had some older guys talk to him some alums talk to him about how to handle those situations a little more productively. And instead of getting mad, try to use it to bring those other guys up. Cause he said he considers himself to be such a competitor that if, if he sees somebody else not doing the right thing, his first inclination is cut them down a notch or two. Right. And so he's had to learn and is still trying to learn how best to handle that. And I think that was, that's what you lose with Marcus page is whenever he opens his mouth, everyone immediately falls into line. Mm-hmm. And you've got to develop that guy this year. But I think Barry most likely has to be that person. I think you see that a little bit on the football side of things in a similar spot with Andre Smith defensively because Larry Fedora has talked a lot about how, you know, Andre Smith's been a good player. He hasn't been perfect, but he has been a very productive player. He said, but where he has struggled or where he is still learning is to take command of the defense as the middle linebacker and to say, hey, you're not doing your job, you know, we got to get or, – or what, to hold his teammates accountable. And I do think – and this – I'm not the first person to say this. That is – that to me is one of the hardest things to do as a college-aged player. When you are playing with your peers, when you are playing with your friends, is to be the guy or woman in, in a female sport. I mean, to be that person – who is the one who holds everybody else accountable and gets on them in a constructive way if they're not if they're not doing something that's beneficial to the team? I, I mean, that's got to be hard. And I think that's what fans sometimes miss just a little bit. Like I, people always say, "Well, that '09 team had Tyler Hansbrough to lead them. He wasn't really a leader like that. Right? He he was so focused on his one thing that he didn't even know the other guys were there." But when you were one of the other guys and you saw him doing what he was doing, that motivated you to follow in his lead. But he was not a leader. Right. Not in a bad way. It just wasn't his thing. Right. Because what his thing was is what made him one of the best players in Carolina history. But so it's not always your best player or the guy you see as, quote, the hardest working 
or whatever, it, you have to have that certain aspect of your personality that enables you to do it and to have people listen. Because some people do it and the other guys kind of roll their eyes. Right. Yeah, that's right. And it, not always publicly. But you can have guys who speak up and the other guys go, okay. Or you have guys who only speak up when they think it will benefit them with the coaches. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the Coach Williams is watching. Let me say something. That's not, that's not how you do it. You had another article this week. It came out, I think, on Monday about, what was it, Nate Britt and yeah. Kendall Marshall? What was that about? I haven't read it yet. I just, what was it about? Thanks for the clicks. <laughs> um, it, it's about, and I didn't know this until uh, Nate Britt was talking about it this summer. I guess Nate Britt has known Kendall Marshall since he was nine. Mm-hmm. And because they're both from kind of generally the same area. And so they played against each other one time in high school. And then Kendall Marshall came here, of course. And Nate Britt then came here, of course. But they still didn't play together because Kendall Marshall left early. And so they've been working out together all summer because Kendall Marshall's been here because he's trying to catch on with an NBA team, as is Tyler Hansborough, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, and they've got some similarities as players. I mean, they're both left-handed. Both of them, the, the thing they feel like they need to improve is their shot. So Nate Britt said that's he's worked almost every day this summer with Kendall Marshall, especially on their shot. And uh, Britt didn't take any classes in the first session of summer school and so he basically had, like, an NBA schedule. Hmm. He would get up, lift weights, work out with Kendall Marshall, take a nap. Hmm. Good job, Nate Britt. I yeah. support that. Come back, play pickup, work out again either with Kendall Marshall or Hubert Davis or somebody and get some more shots up on his own. So, I don't – you know, Nate Britt, I think, is a guy people forget about. And – but what a likable person. And – Yes. And – has the ability to be the type of defensive player who's going to play whether he's making shots or not. And people are going to go, why is Nate Britt playing? Because they always do that every single year. Well, it might be because he's doing something defensively. You know, Roy Williams likes defense, as most coaches do. I mean, this, I think, has the potential to be a really good defensive team. I mean, just looking at the guy, some of their strength, the body types of some of the guys who are going to play. I mean, Kenny Williams looks like somebody who can be a good defender. Seventh Woods looks like somebody who can be a good defender. You mentioned Nate Britt, who's always been a pretty solid. I mean, he's been a very fundamentally sound defender his most of his Carolina career. Now, you you lose the shot blocking of Bryce Johnson from a year ago, but Tony Bradley is there, who is a big body, and I have not seen enough of him to play to know if he is capable of those of that type of production as a shot blocker. Um, Brandon Robinson, another young guy, very long, lanky guy. Pinson is that way. Uh, Barry is a very aggressive defender. Um, I mean, I, it just feels like this could be a really hard-nosed, good defensive team um, if, they commi- if they commit to it, which is something I know Roy Williams tries to get them to do every year. And I think Pinson's the key because I think he's got the potential to really change games because of how hard he plays and just his athleticism. And I think the most encouraging thing about him is he doesn't seem to mind if that's what his role is. Right. Because he reminds me a little bit of J.P. Tokido, who Roy Williams kept talking about over and over. Oh, he could be the best defender. And it always seemed like that kind of made J.P. Tokido mad. Yeah. I'm more than that. I, I think Theo Pinson would be okay if his role was to change games defensively. He would like to score just like everybody else in the world. But I think he'd be all right if he got a few steals that led to a few dunks and Carolina won a lot of games. I think he'd be totally okay with that, and that's exactly what you need. And his shot looks better. Just yes. from stuff that I've seen so far and hearing some people talk, looks like he's he had flared that elbow a lot uh, out earlier in his career. Looks like he has that tucked in a little bit better. Um, be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah. 
There's you no you, you always wonder until. Oh yeah, I know. You got to see it. Yeah, but it. He's done the work on it. And here's it. Here's the other thing. Somebody's gonna have to make some outside shots because the best outside shooter from the last several years is now gone in Marcus Page. So somebody's gonna have to hit some shots. Well, and I think you always wonder. You know, Joel Berry excelled last year, especially towards the end of the year, when he was the third guy on the scouting report. Right. Now he's the first guy. So he's going to face the other team's best defender, and their whole defense is going to be Do you be think about, he's the first guy? I do. I would think it'd be Justin Jackson. I, I think Joel Berry has done it consistently in the biggest games. Yeah. I think Justin Jackson is the most unique guy because he's a guy you have trouble figuring out exactly who to put on him because of all the things he does. But if I was going to stop Carolina, I would start with Joel Berry. I wouldn't want to stop Carolina. I'd let them score 200 yeah, just points. Just let them go. Yeah. Um, we had some reader uh, or some listener questions that we'd get to. Um, this one via Twitter from Clark Cameron. He says, has Roy Williams ever considered playing zone defense? <laughs> he started that with saying, not sure if it's ever been discussed before. I don't know if Clark's being ironic in that question or not. I think Clark's joshing. <laughs> um, so the answer is Roy Williams doesn't like zone. We all know that, right? He should send that into the radio show. Yeah. Um, at Heels Fan Ann wants to know how Elijah Hood is. Is he expected to play this Saturday? Um, as of this moment, um, that is still to be determined. Um, I think Elijah Hood, the expectation is that Elijah Hood will play this Saturday. But I think that was the expectation for a majority of last week, too. And it just didn't play out that way. Um, but obviously... The Tar Heels need Elijah Hood on the field. And this would have been a terrific game for him to have played in um, this past weekend. But let's not act like if Elijah Hood was out there that all Carolina's ills would have been cured because that's not the case. And it, it certainly would not have hurt their cause, but I don't think all of a sudden they're marching up and down the field. And it hurt on, was it the very first drive when Carolina went for the fourth and one and didn't yes. make it? Yeah. That's that's an Elijah Hood play. Well, yeah, and somebody, one of the offensive linemen, totally whiffed the block there. But I get right. your point, yes. And I also think it, it reemphasizes how much better you are when you have two than yeah. when you have just one. It makes T.J. Logan better. The, the whole position is better when you've got them both. I'm just going through to see if we have any other questions that I wanted to get to uh, via Twitter. We had some of them that we're not going to get to. Um <laughs> But I think. Uh, Do you have anything about the energy crisis <laughs> from a guy in a red sweater? No, from Ken Bone. I do not. Did you see this guy, though? <sighs> I was watching the debate with uh, several kids who uh -huh. were watching it for extra credit. And it, we had kind of gone into that point of the debate where, unless yeah, you're just a political junkie, your eyes are glazing over a little bit. Yeah, there. you're kind of like, is this a two hour, hour and a half? What's going on here? And when Ken Bone stood up. It was like Michael Jordan taking off the warm-ups and coming off the bench, except under the warm-ups was a red sweater. And it's only gotten better since then. Because he seems to be a totally self-aware, funny guy. Yeah. Yeah. It, Ken Bone's been on CNN. Yeah. And I, I, the funniest thing he said is that he wasn't even going to wear the red sweater. He had, as he put it, he had a very nice olive suit picked out. <laughs> But as he was getting in the car, he split his pants. <laughs> and, and I like the way, the way he said it was so awesome because he said, well, apparently I've gained about 30 pounds. As though this had not occurred to Ken Boone when he put on the olive suit. Like three pounds, you might not notice. But 30, I don't know. I think you might pick up on that. And, but Ken Boone's wife, who seems like an, a lovely lady, 
ran back inside, pulled out the red sweater, and Ken Bone, I think, had his debate where choices lined up. Like, one was olive suit, two red sweater, <laughs> and I think it was probably three. And she just picked it off the two rack. Uh, yeah, thank goodness. And he's ready to go. Thank goodness he had to go to the back of the other. I enjoy there was some interview with him where they're asking him just about all this newfound attention he's receiving. He said, well, before the debate, I, <laughs> I had seven <laughs> followers on Twitter. <laughs> And two of them were my grandmother because she had forgotten her original password and had to do it again. And let's see. I want to see as of this exact moment. I want to see how many followers this dude has because it's pretty. It just it's it's pretty amazing. This is a nice summation of social media in today's landscape. Don't beat me to it. You on your. No, I'm not. I was going to his Twitter is Kenbone 18. Yeah. So people should follow. I've uh, he now has. 17,000 followers. He's gained 5,000 followers while we recorded yeah. this podcast. Yeah, since we started talking because he was at 12.3. Yeah, he's at 17.2. How many people do you think are going to be Ken Boone for Halloween? A billion. That's such an easy costume. Whatever, wherever that sweater came from, they are about to get a little a-cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> the bone effect. <laughs> We need to get Ken Bone on the podcast. I mean, there comes a time when you just got to be a journalist and get to the bottom of it. He's from Belleville, Illinois. If anybody knows Ken Bone and knows how we can get in touch with him, they should tweet us. Yeah, we got to make Or just have him call us. Got to make that happen. Woo. And the fact that he asked about the energy. Like, those two people who, future leaders of the free world, have been up there just hammering each other about. Everything other than the energy crisis, which I hadn't really crossed my mind. Ken Bone wants to know about energy. Yeah. Do you see that? There, there were two things afterwards that really made me laugh. One was uh, Bill Clinton like <laughs> saw Ken Bone afterwards, and there's this picture where Bill Clinton's like <laughs> pointing at him, and he almost looks angry if you see the still picture. But what was really what was really happening? He was pointing at him, and be like, "Hey, you asked a good question." And he went over there and shook his hand and was like. Thank you for participating, Ken Bone. And then there's this, there's this uh, wide shot of the stage area. And I don't know if this was from someone who was there, who was kind of just recording the stage area afterwards, or if that was, you know, it was just kind of one of those things maybe on TV where you hear the people talking, but you're just seeing a wide shot of the stage afterwards. <laughs> and because the, uh, because the sweater was so recognizable, you see Ken Bone. Walk up to the front of the stage. And now, I've never been to a presidential debate. Not so far. But I'm assuming that they make you get rid of your cell phones. Ken Bone said that, yes. Yes, because everybody, anytime you see people taking pictures, it's always with disposable cameras afterwards Mm -hmm. and not cell phones. Um, Which makes sense that they wouldn't let you have your cell phone in there. I I get that. Um, But so you see Ken Bone walk to the front of the stage, hold up the disposable (laughs) camera, just take a snap. Just take a snapshot to remember the situation. <laughs> looks down at it. It's like, you know how you have to, like, rotate the wheel. So it's like. <laughs> and then move on with his life. Well, but come on. This is what Twitter is made for. It's stuff like this. Oh, yeah. He's become an instant superstar. And and the meeting with he and Bill Clinton oh, led, yeah. led to the tweet Le- with, with the caption, Game Recognized Game, <laughs> which was just pure genius. I, the people who make the internet funnies, some of them are terrible, but right. the ones who do it right, they're good Americans, much like Ken Boone. Last thing about this, the the funny, as you mentioned, like Michael Jordan, I mean, 
as soon as you saw that guy, you oh, yeah. knew. Yes. <laughs> you knew what the whole story on the internet after that debate was going to be. Uh, but, as, uh, yeah, as, as soon as Ken Bone stood up, and once they said, and now we'd like to have a question from Ken Bone, <laughs> and then that, that person stood up, it was just like what you said at the start of the podcast, the perfect storm of everything we uh, needed in America right then. Man. Thank you, Ken Bone. Call us. Anything else, uh, Adam, after, uh, after this one? <sighs> Let me check my things to remember. Oh, okay, well, yeah, a couple things. You, you already talked about Anson Dorrance's 800th win. Yes. Anson Dorrance's career record is 865 and 35. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> that doesn't even make – he's lost 65 games. That's crazy, dude. 22 national titles. That's that's amazing. Uh, I like how the volleyball team is now in the top ten and nobody really even seems well, to notice. And they swept Florida State this past weekend, who has long been the the best program in the ACC. I don't. I think Carolina is now. Yeah. And, and I mean, and he, I think we may have talked about this. Volleyball is a sport. I think even at, that can be successful, highly successful at the college level. It is fast paced. There's a lot of energy. They the games don't take. I mean, I, I mean, fast paced as far as the the play itself and the length of the game. So it's not a super long match. Um, I just think that's a sport. I mean. Carolina gets good crowds, the volleyball game. I mean, it certainly helps that the team is good. Um, but, I mean, it is that is an exciting sport to watch. I feel like that could be something – I just keep an eye on that is my only point of that. I think that's something that Carolina could be – Joe Skula obviously knows what he's doing. Um, and it's just something that it feels like could be the next kind of sport that really takes off at Carolina, if it hadn't already, and it kind of already has. Well, and the the greatest thing that ever happened to volleyball, in my opinion, is when – I don't even know when this happened because I don't know enough about volleyball to be dangerous. But when they changed the scoring yes, to so, where you got a point on every play. Yeah, so you didn't have to be serving to score. That for, I don't know why, but that made a big difference to me well, of course as a it fan. Did. Of course it did because it's so much easier to score when you're not serving because yeah. you get the first opportunity to, to spike it. Yeah. Um, see how much I know? <laughs> Libero. That's a position. Um, but so, no. I just It's a fun sport to watch. And Carolina's, yeah. I mean, Carolina's top ten in the nation right now. Um, I think that they're still undefeated in conference play. They only have two or three losses at most on in total this season. Six and zero in the ACC, and they play Notre Dame, who's also six and zero this weekend. Oh, good! I think that's at Notre Dame. Uh, and then also field hockey got another big win. Field hockey's number three in the nation. Yep. Uh, beat uh, Virginia in overtime on what apparently was a fantastic overtime goal. Well, I mean, we've known this for a long time. Carolina's. The, the Not many schools can be successful at the level Carolina is successful at is in, in many sports. I mean, that's not new news. But I think as the landscape of college athletics continues to change, it's worth remembering that Carolina is good in almost everything it tries to be or that it tries to participate in. The Tar Heels are good in everything, which is really hard to do. And I think that goes back to what we talked about last week when you saw those videos of other teams watching the football team win. Yeah. I think you probably underestimate, as a Carolina fan, how much these teams that you know so much about, basically football and basketball, enjoy how good the other teams are. Yeah. And and they, much like Bill Clinton and Ken Boone, game recognize game. <laughs> and they they understand how difficult it is to be as good as all these other teams are, even if they don't understand the sport. Right. And And I think that makes a difference sort of in the athletic environment on campus. Um. 
I want this. Uh, this is a very serious topic. That I want to close on. Um, Craig Way is the play-by-play announcer at Texas. He's Greensboro, North Carolina native, I think. I know he lived in Greensboro for a time. And you and I have both met Craig multiple times. He is a incredibly nice guy, and clearly, as when you're the play-by-play guy at Texas, you are very good at your job as well. And I mean, Craig does more games than anyone I know. He does football, basketball, women's basketball, baseball. And I think he does, like, high school football on television on Friday night. I mean, so he is extraordinarily busy. And uh, Craig lost his wife this past weekend. She had been fighting cancer for, gosh, I think it was five or six years. Um, And it became very clear that that it had taken a severe turn for the worse, uh, that he did not even call the game on Saturday. And it was their Texas-Oklahoma game. So it was an enormous game. Um, but she passed away, I believe, Saturday evening. Um, and I only bring that up to say that, not that Craig is listening, but just that we are certainly thinking about him. Um, he is just a first-class guy and clearly going through a difficult time. So uh, certainly our thoughts are with him. I remember the first time that I ever met him was at the College World Series in Omaha. Yep. And Carolina was playing Texas. And I remember thinking, oh, the play-by-play guy from Texas is probably going to big-time us or – you know, think he's a big shot, which he had the right to do at that point in time. Uh, but he turned out to be the complete opposite. And yeah. then we would see him after that at basketball games because Carolina and Texas played a lot. He was always very friendly and just nicer than you would expect someone in his position to be because mm-hmm. he had the right to not do that. Yeah. But obviously, and just based on the reaction from everybody around sports, it seems like everybody else had the same relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else, Adam, before we shut it down for the day? Big podcast coming later this week. Yeah, we got a lot of plus maybe Ken Bones on. We don't know. We can leave it out there. It's a possibility. That would take it from big to just probably the the biggest one so far. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, Marcus Page. You've been <laughs> displaced by Ken Bone. Uh, thank you for joining us again this week. Uh, oh, well, er, first this week. Of course, we have another one coming up. A reminder to subscribe always helps us out when you hit that little subscribe button. Uh, you can follow Adam on Twitter at J Adam Lucas. You can follow me on Twitter at Jones Angel, Angel with two L's at the end. We're back later in the week. We will preview yet another big uh, Coastal Division ACC football game, this time on the road at Miami. Um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about late night as well with that coming up on Friday. So busy show later in the week. But for today, we say thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next time on the Carolina Insider. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois.